All righty, folks, and welcome to the Conroker podcast here. I'm here with Alyssa from Remember the Ladies podcast. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, thank you for joining me. Now, just before we start, uh, where could we find your show? Uh, sure. So uh, the audio version of my show is on all major podcast platforms. I also have a video version on YouTube. Um, but you can also go to rememberTheLadiesPodcast.com where you can find all the audio and video streaming links. Yeah, sure. And I will obviously be posting links to your show um, on the description here as well. Um, Appreciate that. Yeah, well, that's no problem at all. <laughs> and um, so the first question I'll have then is um, what inspired you to do the podcast that you're currently on? Like, What, what made you want to do this? Sure. So um, my podcast, Remember the Ladies, is a women's history podcast. And the tagline for my show is telling the stories that your history books left out, uh, which is basically the inspiration for my show. Um, So I've always been interested in history and women's history in particular, but women's contributions to history have essentially been left out of our textbooks, school curriculum and collective memory. Um, In the U.S., where I'm from, women have basically been relegated to being footnotes in history or discussed as supporting characters uh, kind of in the shadows of men. Um, There are really maybe only two American women, or excuse me, two women uh, who every American child learns about in school, Rosa Parks and uh, Susan B. Anthony. Um, And many of them only learn about those women briefly. Uh, So nearly all of the women's history that I have learned about and uh, know about is because I researched that information in my free time or I elected to take women's studies classes in university. So it wasn't until I got to higher education did I really get any classes that were dedicated to teaching me about women. Um, So I don't necessarily think that's how it should be. Uh, There are so many more women uh, who deserve to be remembered for their incredible and groundbreaking contributions to history. And I want to do my, my small, my small part to help tell their stories. Well, yeah, definitely. I 100% agree with you there. And that that kind of comes in with my next question, which was what, what's the aim of the show? Uh, But you made that very clear. (laughs) Um, Like, yeah, that was one thing I did notice, like, cause, um, Obviously, I was looking at the episodes that you've done, and the only women that I actually knew of in your show was Patsy Minx. Uh, Minx, sorry, I didn't know um, about any of the other women in the, that you spoke of. I'm um, quite impressed that you know about her. I, I think she's an awesome uh, figure in history. So, uh, mm. um, thank you for knowing about her, and thank you for listening. Yeah, well, um, of course. I've focused uh, mostly so far in my show on on American women, um, mm-hmm. but I, I look forward to branching out to uh, a more international group of women soon. So yeah, sure. Stay tuned for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you ever go to Scotland, probably the most famous women there would be Mary, Queen of Scots. Uh, mm-hmm. She's probably the most famous of the women in history. And um it's strange because she's quite a controversial figure. Like some people say she was this force for good and some people say she wasn't. So right. I'll, let, I'll let you uh, be the judge. <laughs> I'll let the expert be the do, judge. I'll have to do an episode on her at some point. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, so like um, that was another thing I was going to say. So what do you think you've enjoyed the most 
about the show like so far like what, what have you enjoyed the most about this project that you're on yeah um so my podcast is pretty new compared to yours i think we're on at episode 49 of your show right yeah. um so i just released my 10th episode last week ah. uh, so it's still pretty exciting to me when someone tells me that they have listened to the show or when mm. uh, someone reaches out on social media to talk to me about one of the women that I've covered on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, makes me happy to know that people are, are listening and learning about the women I've covered. And uh, I believe that they deserve much more recognition and credit than they get. Uh, so yep. it's exciting when, when I get to talk to somebody about one of the women I've talked about. Yeah, that's great. It's always nice to hear the feedback, right? It's always lovely mm-hmm. to hear it. And um, that's one thing I did notice, like, even in the textbooks now, you, there, there is a lot of forgotten voices in history. You do see that a lot. And uh, women are one of them, for sure. Yeah. What's, yeah. Uh, what's your favorite part of doing your show? The favorite part of doing my show was the fact that, the, like, the thing is, like, I knew, like, I came to China, like, four or five years ago. I can't even remember how long ago it was now. And... Um, like when I got here, I didn't really know much about China's history. I just knew it was long. I knew it was like an old mm-hmm. place. And then um, I started like reading books about China's history and everything and tried to like learn a little bit about the culture and the history. Because I was like, the problem I was facing when I first got here was that like nobody spoke English and everyone like, you know, they just expected to speak Chinese. And part mm-hmm. of the language is part of the culture and the history. So I was trying to learn about the evolution of Chinese characters and things. And then um, was reading all of these history books. And then, yeah, I just got kind of hooked. So like, what I like about the most is it, of, about it is that I'm learning as I'm going. So like, I, there's a, not a lot yeah. that I knew about Empress Wu, like the subject of today, until I started doing research on her. And then the more I research, the more I like her and the more I try and dig in. So I think that's yeah. the fun part for me. Yeah. Yeah, the the worst part I, is the editing. I agree with that. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's definitely the worst part. The editing, the the, the promoting. <laughs> I agree. I agree on both fronts. The good yeah. and the bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we'll we'll move on to the topic at hand, which I touched on there, which was uh, Empress uh, Woods Etienne. And um, like, did you ever hear about her in school or anything at all? Like, did anybody ever speak of her? Uh, absolutely not. Um, I had actually, to be honest, no idea who she was, uh, before you reached out to me and asked if I'd like to be a guest on the show, but, uh, I'm very glad that you did reach out because I really enjoyed learning about her as I was preparing for this conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think she was quite a a fascinating historical figure. Mm -hmm. Um, so thank you for bringing her to my attention. Uh, she, she obviously, um, you know, has the notoriety of being the only uh, Empress of China, female emperor of China. Uh, mm-hmm. But then there's a whole backstory, um, as you kind of referenced in the past two episodes of your show, of her being the target of a negative propaganda campaign that basically shaped how people thought of her for a long time. So it was interesting to learn um, about uh, how modern historians and archaeologists are working to uncover new evidence of the kind of ruler that she actually was. Yeah, that's that's definitely... Like you've, you've you've just hit it there, like um, how archaeologists and things are uncovering evidence which supports like the total opposite image of what the 
the traditional Confucian scholars wrote about her at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is definitely um, like what, like, I mean, I suppose this is why we study history, right? Because then like right. as time progresses, you find out like, oh, maybe that person wasn't so bad. And then you can like um, right. discuss it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, like in the past two episodes, I tried to stay away from this because I knew we were going to have this chat and I thought, well, it might be good to just focus on the cultural impact that she had uh, for her time. Because it's quite sad because she had this big cultural impact when she was alive and then when she died, it all just kind of reverted back to highly patriarchal society dominated by men and like like the rest is history, basically. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, like, so the first thing that, like, I was going to mention was the fact that, you know, like, we'll, we'll do a bit of background info where um, as far as, you know, any Chinese emperor could read, like, we're talking like 1000 years already in China's history, about 2000 years in China's history. Um, all the leaders were men. Every single leader was men. Um, even the head of the household was a man. Women were never allowed to express themselves in a political way they were never allowed to harness political power they had to dress certain ways they learned like the feminine arts so to speak and then the men Mm -hmm. were the ones who did all the fighting and the hunting and all of those things um so that's basically like that's um where we are at and then when the tang dynasty was founded the found like i'm not going to say the founding emperor like because he was he was kind of aloof he was he was he was a nice man a good guy (laughs) but he he was just uh, he didn't really like manage the empire that well but his son did so like the second emperor of the tang dynasty is the man who really made the tang dynasty the empire like the far-reaching empire that really built Mm -hmm. up to the good old like the good days and um he is the one who came across woods Tian, and then that's where her story begins right yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Oh, go on. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. I <laughs> know. Oh, no, sorry. Go on. <laughs> oh no, no. I. I. Um. Yes. At a, a young age is when her story begins with her or with him. Um. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't want to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> go I know. Because that's that's what I was going to say. Like that's the first thing that we should probably note is the fact that she was 13 or 14. I think of, like now that I'm like refreshing my memory, I'm sure it's 13. Uh, like I've read different sources that say 13 and some say 14. Uh, yeah, that's so when, Yeah, so like that's when she became a concubine of the emperor. And it's strange because, again, I've heard different stories um, where like she, like the emperor was sleeping with her because he had like hundreds of concubines anyway. And then there was stories where they actually didn't. They had an intimate relationship, but it wasn't sexual, which is... Uh, Something that I find strange. Um, I mean, what would you think? Um, I also kind of found conflicting information as I was reading. I wasn't sure which one to to believe. Um, I know that either way, she did get to build that close relationship with uh, the emperor and Mm. kind of use that relationship to further her position um, and, and eventually... Uh, after he dies and his son takes over, uh, use that to to gain power. Yeah, and that's one thing that 
I want to bring up because like there is a lot of slander over this as well because what's supposed to happen is that when the emperor dies his concubines all go to like this buddhist monastery and then they live a life right. of like solitude and things uh, but she didn't so this is where the slander comes in against her like right from the start um because like it was revealed that she was actually having an affair with the emperor's son as well and, mm-hmm. and he, he brings her back um yeah i mean that's the one comment i'll make about the whole thing is the fact that uh she like she's she's a woman living in a man's world you know if she wants to get places then she has to play the game right right i mean yeah exactly uh um i mean i'm sure we'll touch on this later but there was some uh at the end of her life she kind of had a similar situation with two Mm -hmm. um men uh and then the way that her coming up is talked about versus mm-hmm. the way she behaved at the, or she behaved or had men behave at the end of her life is kind of like mm-hmm. two sides of one coin. Uh, and it seems like no matter kind of what she, position she were in, she wouldn't, she would be on the losing side of it. Well, we can touch on that <laughs> later on as we get through her story, but yeah, um, yeah. that's something to keep in mind as, as we're talking. Yeah, for sure. And um, so, like, what happened later on is um, she did have sons with the current emperor, which is um, obviously a very good thing if you're a concubine of an emperor. Uh, because within the imperial harem, what would happen is if you've got the, if you've got a son, that's a potential heir, and then you rise up in the ranks of concubines. And um, the thing to note about that would be is that that's when your life is in even more danger because you've got a bunch of jealous people wanting your position, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. which then that, that causes issues. But um, what happened was she actually managed to get rid of her competition. And again, there's a horrible story about her, which could potentially be true. Did you read about that one as well? Uh, the one with the, the two women and the hands and feet mm-hmm. getting cut off. Yes, I did. Yep. Um, and then drowned in, in wine. Mm-hmm. Um, she said something supposedly like uh, she wanted them to be drunk down to their bones or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's pretty much it, yeah. <laughs> um, and this is this is the thing with her. Like, like women in Chinese history, it's, it's very strange. I don't know about later history, but, like, basically women are always treated as people who upset the order in china's history and they're the ones who caused the fall of great dynasties like there's a Mm -hmm. there's um there's four particular famous women who brought about the end of a dynasty one of them actually brought about the end of the time so to speak uh like which i'll get to in a later episode um but woods Etienne's treated somewhat differently because like you could argue in fact, I would be a strong proponent of this argument where she really brought the Tang Dynasty up further than like the second emperor. She really did. She opened it up to trade. She was uh, open-minded, and a lot of her policies actually reflected the second emperor. Um, but what what the difference is between her and like those women who um, supposedly brought down the end of the dynasty was that she assumed political power and uh, she. Right she took the step of declaring herself empress or emperor. Like she actually called herself mm-hmm. emperor. She didn't even have like a gender neutral, like, sorry, like she didn't call herself empress. She just said, I'm the emperor. 
Um, yeah. And that was like, a lot of people were uh, supporting her on this, uh, but it's unclear whether they supported her just to save their own necks or that they were scared that she would come after them. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, which is another um, issue. Uh, but mm-hmm. that's the speaking one thing. Of, uh, oh, go on. Uh, speaking of uh, bringing down the end of an empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so e- even though she um, didn't do that in the way you mentioned other women uh, did, uh, she did declare her own kind of <laughs> empire, um, which uh, lasted just for her. And then it went back to the, the Tang empire. But I find that interesting as well. So she kind of assumed power and took power and then named it after herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if it was just temporarily. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's a shame because she created a new Chinese character for her new dynasty as well. Right. And, and then, um, yeah, like the sad part is like her son took over and then her son continued the family name of Lee, which is the Tan. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where it came. Like they just said, oh, let's just forget this. <laughs> forget this happened and just move back. Yeah. Um, which is quite sad. Um. But yeah, like, so when she was empress, like you could even like, cause she, she kind of like, she guided the empire from behind the curtain, so to speak, because like she took over like from her two sons. And um, mm-hmm. when she did, um, this is when you see a big change in Tang society where like women um, are allowed to express themselves a lot more as well. And um, one of the biggest way they did that was in politics. So before, women weren't allowed in the imperial courts, and they certainly weren't allowed to discuss laws. Whereas, but because like the emperor was a woman, they were more than like she she was bringing in more women into the court. And the most famous example would be uh, Shangguan Wanar, and she became the prime minister. So like, mm-hmm. you've got women right at the top, and then just beneath her, uh, there's a woman prime minister as well. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, and then I also read that she, uh, in addition to the prime minister, was surrounding herself by uh, other women um, in her mm. in her government as well. So, um, and not only that, but opening up the government to commoners and allowing them to have a position and, and a voice uh, in ways that hadn't happened before in China. Yeah, exactly. And this is what gets to me as well, because... Like Confucian values, which is what like all these scholars like uh, upheld, that was like they dictated that that's what the, the emperor should do. But because a woman was doing it, they were, oh no, it's bad. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> they just right. like anything that they could put their hand on. Oh no, it's, it's it's terrible. It's a woman that did it, and then that's what um, you know <laughs> that it is like like because now we look at it with the modern lens and we're like oh, really, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just interesting to see like how that happened. And then of course, like that political power that women had within the imperial court, you do see that kind of trickle down to like the, the common people as well. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Like, so, so for example, like um, there's archeological sites and things where you see, do you know, like, um, like vases and things? And you do see mm-hmm. a lot of women um, hunting and things, which is just something that would never have happened before. Right. Um, I was also watching this documentary about uh, Empress Wu, and they were showing um, all sculptures of 
women riding horses and mm -hmm. and wearing men's clothing um so uh Dude. not only were they like participating in in hunting activities but uh they had the freedom to essentially move about and travel mm -hmm. and uh not have to dress in traditionally women's clothing so i think that's something that I definitely changed by having a, a woman at the top it seemed like um, according to new uh, historical evidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does seem like women were emboldened by her, right? That's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's that's what I read, um, which I think both plays into and then also goes against the traditional kind of thought that she was this ruthless leader. Um, mm. You know, I think she was a powerful leader. Yep. Uh, and sometimes when there are powerful women, they get called ruthless or other names, um, like yep. you were saying, because uh, if it's something that a man would do, it would just be looked at like, oh, that is just how it is. But then it gets called out um, if a woman were to do something like that. But I think in terms of the way that she uh, opened doors to women, obviously we're talking about a very long time ago, so it's not the same um, kind of comparison that you can make today yeah. uh, to women's place in society, but um, I think it definitely expanded the role of women, or she expanded the role of women in her in her uh, time that she was ruling China. Yeah, sure. And like, I like what you said there, so we can't compare her to like our time, but what we can do is compare her to other places at the same right. time. So if we go back to like the 700s and we look at Europe, like you could see it's like a totally different picture for women there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely ruled by uh, men, kings, religious figures. So, yeah. Yep. And of course, women, like if they were born into nobility, they were just political pawns for marriage alliances between royal it's families. A, yeah, and essentially. Things. Yeah. Right. And if you look at even like the Middle East as well, it's like the same, same situation, like women were held back um, mm -hmm. in a lot of these areas as well. So um, yeah, it's quite remarkable that in the 700s, you have, first of all, a female leader of a massive empire, I think it was the biggest of the time. And not only mm -hmm. that, she's opening doors for all these women and all these people are coming in to see this female empress who was like a remarkable leader. Like we can't we can't deny yeah. that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um and uh powerful on mm. the world stage. Uh yes. made a lot of trade alliances and mm. um worked with other other uh empires, countries to um improve the status not only of women uh in China but uh all of the commoners um mm -hmm. economically, socially, I, I think she did a lot. Yeah, yeah. And she even gave them a lot of food safety as well by having these massive grain storages and things, um, mm -hmm. which, of course, if there was a famine in one area of the empire, she could send relief. And uh, right. a lot of people tend to forget mm -hmm. that, too. Right. I was reading how uh, she um, not only had the food storage, but improved it so that rice mm -hmm. could be stored for, I think it was close to 10 years. Yeah. Um, so that whenever there was a famine or a drought, the, her people were always taken care of. Yeah. And um, I mean, that like that's what 
a lot of the scholars and the literati and things, they do tend to miss that. And the reason why is because a lot of them, they, they focus on how she got to power because a lot of people were like, did get killed on her way to power. Um, but it's like what you said, mm-hmm. like a lot, like, you know, if a man did the same thing, it's just, you know, oh, well, like that's the way it is. Um, mm-hmm. I think what makes her stand out more though, is the fact that she was a woman in a man's world. She was playing these political games and she was winning as well. And um, a lot of men didn't like that even at the time. And they thought they could challenge mm-hmm. her. And she like she defeated them all, <laughs> so to speak. Like up until it's like she, I think towards the end of her life, like she was just kind of getting tired of it, and uh, mm-hmm. just wanted a quiet life <laughs> towards the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So like that. that and then like, I think this is going to bring us on up to her legacy, so to speak. Um. But you already mentioned that like there was two young men that she took on as concubines as well. And what I actually find really funny about this whole thing is the fact that she managed to reverse, not even, not even like, um, you know, like <laughs> go up against the traditional roles, but she actually reversed them as well. Because what would normally right. happen is like, you know, an emperor would be sitting there and a bunch of women from uh, powerful families would come and he would pick his concubines mm-hmm. and that would happen I think like every month or something. Well, actually, it depended on the emperor. But like Woods at the end just... She did the same thing, except she just picked a bunch of men, um, right. which I thought was like when I read about it, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> right, yeah. um, and also it's uh, the men, the two particular brothers, the mm. Zhang brothers, I think uh, their name was. Um, they were younger than she was. I forget how much younger, but they were not uh, the thirteen or fourteen year old. No. age that Wuzitian was when she was brought in to be an emperor's concubine and she was uh criticized a little bit i read uh for uh having these young men by her side and and with her um but then on the flip side there was no real criticism in the same way when mm-hmm. the male emperors would have super young concubines by their side and with them yep. um so Definitely, definitely interesting, the story of the two brothers and especially how um, kind of like when she was coming up, they eventually got accused of uh, being too intimate with her and having too much of an influence over um, the way she was ruling. Uh, mm-hmm. So kind of uh, like she was uh, accused of having too much influence over um uh, the second emperor, or the son, uh, mm-hmm. when he took her on as empress um, and eventually had to rely on her because he was ill and she was kind of the driving force behind uh, the power uh, mm-hmm. when he couldn't rule. Um, at first, she was kind of seen as stepping into a place where she didn't belong. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of her life, the men around her were seen as doing the same. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And like for like a bit of clarification, so like the first, sorry, the second emperor of the Tang, uh, Li Xumin, I think when he mm-hmm. had her as a concubine, she were, he was 60 and she was 14. Yeah. And then, of yeah. course, she's 60 and she's got two male concubines who I think were in their 20s. And yet she was yeah. getting criticized. Um, yeah. Which, which kind of like it adds to your point, um, which yeah. is... 
it's it's sad. It's, I mean, it's sad in the way because um, you know, like that's like they, they weren't concerned about they were they were more concerned with that, like the scholars of mm-hmm. the time. They were more concerned with that rather than the fact that these two Jam brothers were overstepping their boundaries because they weren't right. supposed like they were di- like driving the laws in such a way that suited them. They were known to be corrupt as well. Um, mm-hmm. And but all these things and like um, influencing the empress to like kill off competition or what they seen was competition, even though they weren't. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of that was going on. But like you said, a lot of the scholars of the time they don't focus on that. They focus on the fact that she's a sixty year old woman and she was having like an affair with these two young men. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Which uh, you know, like that's that's one thing that I think a lot of people should realize is that you know you should be judging people on how they are and not like based on their gender or anything like that but like it should just be you should judge uh, characters in history based on what they've done and not right their gender or anything right i agree yeah and then that like and then this like you know this what's uh oh god i forgot what i was going to say oh that's it so that was like the one thing I was going to say, so like, you know more about women in history than what I do, right? So I was going to ask, who would you compare Woods Etienne to in terms of history? Like, who do you think would be the best kind of person to compare her to? Um, so I thought about this a lot, and <laughs> I think um, maybe the closest comparison going even further back than Wu Zetian is possibly Cleopatra. Um, like Wu Zetian, Cleopatra has been kind of framed by propaganda um, or the men who wrote about her after her death. Um, in Cleopatra's case, it was the Romans who painted a negative picture of her after she died. Um, I think she's uh, unfairly seen sometimes as only a ruthless woman who overstepped her place as a woman in society to be this strong leader um, and who used her looks and sexuality to Mm -hmm. seduce uh, Julius Caesar and Mark Antony, two Roman leaders. Um, But like Wuzitian, Cleopatra also had very strong political acumen. Um, She was well-educated like Wuzitian was. um, Mm -hmm. So, um, not quite sure about the uh, women's education in Egypt uh, in Cleopatra's time, but um, for Wu Zetian to be well-educated as a woman in her time in China uh, mm-hmm. was uh, unique. Um, like you mentioned earlier, uh, women were kind of relegated to um, like learning the female arts, uh, yeah. but Wu Zetian was a well-educated uh, woman. Um, yeah. And uh, she was also like Cleopatra, a good military leader. Um, They both participated in international trade um, and Egypt prospered economically a lot under Cleopatra, like China did under Wuzetian. And they both took on political corruption. Um, So uh, Wuzetian, by allowing commoners to join her government to weed out some of the nepotism, uh, I think, parallels uh what cleopatra did in in egypt um they both also uh ensured during times of drought and famine that their people were fed um Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I think they both either lowered or waived taxes um, for their people during tough times. So I think there's a lot of overlap between the two leaders. Um, and then also in more modern times, um, uh, I was trying to find some comparisons for people uh, to reference um, more recently. And, um, you know, obviously these women did not have the kind of ruthless upcoming of killing <laughs> or having hundreds of people killed off to gain yeah. power. Um, but there was uh, a nurturing side to Wuzetian's leadership that I think, um, or may have come probably because she was a female leader um, who kind of did um, a lot to comfort her people, um, like not only making sure they were fed, allowing them to have more, uh, especially women, basic freedoms um, and uh, um, just generally, like even with uh, supporting Buddhism in China, um, like really giving the, the people their religion and allowing them to practice their religion freely. Um, I think people at least um, are starting to see her as kind of this nurturing leader. And in modern times, I think that side of her um, can be compared to uh, someone like Angela Merkel, of uh, mm. the former chancellor of Germany, and, and maybe even um, Queen Elizabeth II of the UK. Um, so not only was uh, Angela Merkel the first woman chancellor of Germany, um, but when she was elected, she was kind of brushed off as this like inexperienced woman who didn't really yeah. have a place in what she was about to be doing. Yeah. Um, but she turned out to be a very strong leader for the people of Germany and on the world stage, like Wuzetian was. Um, she was a strong leader and, mm -hmm. uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, really did um, make, and you mentioned, make uh, her empire uh, a really strong player uh, internationally. Um, not not only just with trade, but um, in just making it kind of like uh, I read was, you know, the capital city was one of the like first major cosmopolitan cities mm -hmm. in the world. Um or in China. Um, and even though Angela Merkel's popularity declined a bit in her final years in office, as it usually does uh, yep. for most leaders before they either stepped down or voted out of office, but mm -hmm. um, she was and still is a beloved figure in Germany, in my understanding. Yep. So, uh, so much so that Germans call her Muti, which is like an endearing term for mother. Um, because she led with an empathetic and caring side to her, which I think we're, uh, we're discovering Wu Zetian did as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Wu Zetian was also in power for 50 years, which is a long time, especially um, back then. And mm -hmm. Queen Elizabeth, on the flip side, has been on the throne for 70 years. Um, yeah. She's been this consistent figurehead for the lives of most British people alive today, or at least most of their lives if they're older than 70. Um, she's outlived numerous prime ministers and, and major world events. And she's kind of seen as, and you may disagree, <laughs> as a, a Scottish person. But, uh, she's kind of seen as like a mother-like or grandmother-like figure for um, at least England, uh, for English people and British people to 
kind of turn to uh, during a disaster or tragedy for comfort. Um, while support for the monarchy has been declining in recent years, I think Queen Elizabeth's popularity has remained quite strong, um, which yeah. we saw a few weeks ago, even uh, during her Platinum Jubilee. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, people do love her, not just in the UK, but all over the world. Um, and they think that she represents the country well. Um, at least some some of them do. And I think that as more historians are taking a fresh look at Wuzitian now, I think they're realizing more and more that she was that kind of comforting, positive representation for them. Mm. Um, and Queen Elizabeth was queen uh, during a time of great societal changes for women in Western cultures as well. Yeah. Um, so as more and more doors were opening for women in the mid 20th century, there was this young, inspiring woman leader to look up to. Um, so I think that kind of relates to how Wu Zetian was this woman leader who uh, did as much as she could in the seventh century, open up doors for women mm -hmm. um, and be that kind of representation at the top for um, you know, even if it was just a little bit or even temporarily, um, a changing world for, for women in her society. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, I agree there. And, um, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Elizabeth actually, she participated in the war effort, right? If I'm not yeah, mistaken. she did. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, I believe she was a mechanic during World War II. Yeah. Which again just shows you, right? She did her bit, like everyone else did their bit. So yeah. she wasn't like reeling from the top. And um yeah, like Wu Zetian, I will say that, like she like the Tang Dynasty did kind of revert back to its old ways, but um the next major dynasty that came along, the Song Dynasty, they did continue a lot of uh well, I wouldn't say, but well, yeah, we'll say Woods of Tien's policies. Like, she, they did continue. Like, so, like, women did have a lot more doors open to them, and a lot of women were participating in poetry and things. And it's all thanks to Woods of Tien doing it first. Mm -hmm. um, so, that's uh, definitely one way to look at it. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, so, like, I mean, that's it from me. So, is there anything else you would like to add to the chat at all? Or? Um, I did read. Uh, I just found this interesting um, since, you know, we're both obviously interested in history um, that Wizitian, uh I think, had um, the stories of some women in history kind of written down uh, so people would remember them and, and learn about their stories. Uh, so I think um, not only, you know, was she this important woman figure, but she was trying to in even in a tiny way, recognize other women um, mm. and, and their contributions, uh, which, you know, I find very interesting because, um, you know, as I mentioned at the, at the beginning, for the reason why I start started my podcast is because mm. women's contributions are often left out in, in um, the larger historical picture. And I think she was trying to do her part to... Mm even a tiny bit, make sure that didn't happen. Um, make sure even when, um, uh, I believe it was, it was uh, uh, Chinese or, or Tang culture to when a, a father died, um, the family or the children mourned the father, 
for, uh, I think it was three years. Um, mm-hmm. And then it wasn't really practiced to mourn the mother um, unless I think the father was still alive and then she was mourned for three years. So she made it um, a law basically to say that you had to mourn and recognize and thank your mother on equal mm-hmm. footing yeah. as your father. Um, and I, so that aspect of her really trying to uh, remember and recognize women um, I think it was very unique to her story because uh, mm-hmm. you don't you don't really see that a lot even um, <clears throat> in other women throughout history uh, there isn't that really documentation and really reflecting on women's roles and, and contributions um, until you get mm-hmm. to you know super modern history yeah yeah Th- that was actually something that I did not know I did not know she documented uh, women's stories. That was something I'd, I, 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 did. I never read it. <laughs> uh, I did read that. Hopefully, oh, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully the, the sources I consulted were correct on that point. So, uh, no, um, I, but I, I did see that in a few. I, I, I don't doubt that at all. I mean, if you could, <laughs> could you send that to me? That would be great. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. Right, thank you. And uh, that was like, that was just like one more question I was going to have for you. Um, so, What's the future for your show going to look like? So what are we going to see next coming from here? Um, So each episode of my show, I focus on basically one woman's story. Um, Like you've been focusing on Wuzetian in the past few episodes of your show. Mm. Um, So I really try and find like interesting women in history who have compelling stories and, and tell them. Uh, so I'm, uh, I have the next few episodes of my, uh, podcast already planned out, but I really would like, as I, as I, uh, referenced earlier to branch out from my wheelhouse of American history and, and mm-hmm. do more international, uh, women, um, always trying to find a diverse range of stories. So not trying to talk about the same kinds of people or the same kinds of things that happen, um, really go back throughout time. Um, throughout different topics and explore how women, uh, you know, contributed to each of those parts of our history. Um, So not only like talking about, you know, how women shaped and and were changing history in the 20th century, but going back to uh, in previous episodes, like the founding of the United States and uh, participating in war. So I w- really would like to do that more on an international scale in the coming episodes. Hmm. Well, I look forward to hearing them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I really look do. forward to continue listening to your podcast and learning uh, more about Chinese history. It's very compelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, I'm 2,500 years in. I've got another like 2,500 <laughs> to go. <laughs> so a long way to go. Um, I have a long way to catch up to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I'll do is like, so um, just so like for those who are listening and things like um, what I was going to say is, uh, so like just repeat, like where could we find your show? And then we can like wrap up there. Sure. Um, so it's uh, all available on all major podcast mm-hmm. platforms, um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, you name it. Um, also have a video version of the show on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the streaming links are at uh, rememberthelediespodcast.com. 
Um, I'm also uh, um, on social media. So have uh, TikTok is my uh, most active platform where I post the most bonus content for the show. Um, but I also have Instagram and Twitter, um, which is where I found you. So I appreciate <laughs> you reaching out to me on there. Um, uh, I would love to uh, connect with uh, any of your listeners. If any of your listeners uh, would like to learn about some uh, interesting women in history, uh, that sounds like it's up their wheelhouse. I hope they'll check out the show. All right. Okay. Well, I'll be sure to uh, post all the links in the description as well. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I appreciate you uh, inviting me to chat with you on your show. This has been great. Uh, I've really enjoyed it as well. And uh, I appreciate you accepting my offer. (laughs) Sure. If there's another woman in Chinese history you want to chat about in the future, definitely let me know. Oh, there's a lot. But um, they're not (laughs) painted in a a good light. Like, Wu Zetian's the most (laughs) controversial figure, so to speak. But for sure, like, um, we could talk about like, like I mentioned, the four beauties, because that's what it was. They were so mm-hmm. beautiful that they made the men go away from <laughs> politics and turn to them. <laughs> so we could definitely talk about them if you want to. <laughs> the Yoko Ono of Chinese history, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but okay, um, so we'll wrap up there. And uh, thank you once again, Alyssa. Sure, thank you. It's mm-hmm. been great. All right, thank you very much. And I'll see you later.